I, uh, we passed out, or you took uh, cards. Uh, if you took cards, thank you. If you passed them out, thank you. I just want to remind you, if you have any left over, if they're sitting in your glove compartment, or if they're sitting on your dash, or, or you left them on your counter, pass them out this week. Uh, we want to make sure that those invitations to our Sunday Easter service get out so that uh, we can invite folks in uh, to hear the gospel of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, so, so if you took them, make sure you pass them out. And uh, I will greatly appreciate it, and the Lord will bless you for it. John chapter 12 we're going to uh, read our, our text again, and this is just a part of our text. It's, there was too much for us to, it's never too much to read the Bible, I guess, but uh, it would have taken us quite a bit of time, and I wanted to give myself as much time as I could to preach. And uh, uh, Hey, I've been thinking about this all week long, huh? so I'm going to preach about it all day long. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, goodness. John... Chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. Uh, Lord, I can stand here and I can, t- I, can, I can speak, but without your help, Lord, nothing would ever be accomplished. Uh, I would just make a fool of myself. God, I pray that your spirit would, would take your word and implant it into our hearts, that you give us eyes of understanding, Lord. I pray that, that you would help us not just to hear the truth, but we would un- have, understand it, Lord, and that we would be able to believe it. Lord, that belief, Lord, comes through hearing and through the word of God, but it's a work of your spirit. We ask for your help this morning. I ask you to help me to say only what I should say, Lord. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all that's done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is uh, Palm Sunday. What is Palm Sunday? Well, it's, it's, the, it's the, the Sunday before Easter, but more, more to the point, it's the, the Sunday, uh, the week before Sunday, we, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ and uh, uh, the beginning of his Passion Week. Uh, that week, that Passion Week was uh, that week in Jerusalem where he spent time with the disciples. Uh, they had the Last Supper. Uh, he cast some people out of the temple uh, for, right when he came into Jerusalem. Uh, and then we know that uh, he suffered and, and died on that cross for our sins. Uh, what a beautiful picture. That Christ died for us. For our sins. He didn't just die because he wanted to. He died because, like, I don't remember which one, which one it said, because they loved us, because he loved us. Now, this triumphal entry, prior to this passage, or these verses right here, in the, at the beginning of chapter 12, verse 1, we, we find uh, Jesus coming, uh, getting ready to come into the, 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 the city. And, and we have that triumphal entry. We're going to talk about that. But there were some things that happened leading up to these two men, these two Greeks, uh, that they're searching for Jesus. And why, why are they looking for Jesus? These two men, they're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're not from from Jerusalem, they're not from the area, uh, uh, but they've heard about him. Well, how do they hear about him? 
Well, Matthew chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 21, another account, it's, it's the account of the triumphal entry is in all four uh, Gospels. It's in, in Matthew 21, in Mark chapter 11, in Luke chapter 19, and here in John chapter, John chapter 12. Uh, in every single one of them, that we see that account. But in, in Matthew chapter 21, at the end of, it, uh, of the account, it says that, that the earth, or that the, the city, was moved. It's, uh, the same word there that used for moved is the word that we get earthquake from. It, and there was a great tumult. T- Tumult. Let's try and say the right word. A great, a great shaking of, of people. Everybody saw what was going on here in the triumphal entry. Everybody was talking about Jesus. So these two Greeks, they have a desire to see who Jesus is, and they go looking for him. They, they want to know more about him. They want to, to know him. They want to see what all the, the fuss is about. Now, there were a lot of people that were there at the triumphal entry. Just before Jesus came in, the Bible says he was in Bethpage, and he was at the house of, I believe it was Simon. There was a dinner there, and they were, they were, Jesus was the guest of honor, but Lazarus was there. Because in chapter 11 of the book of John, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Man, what a miracle, right? It was a, a, a man whom Jesus loved. He loved that family. He loves all of us, uh, but he loved that family, and, and uh, he had gotten word that Lazarus uh, was sick, and instead of going and healing him like he did so many other people, he waited. But he did it for the purpose that he knew that he was going to go and raise him from the dead. And, and so uh, that, that time came. He came in there, and he met with, uh, he met with uh, Mary and Martha, and, and they went to the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth even though he'd been in that grave for four days. And Lazarus walked out alive. What a, what, a, what a miracle. There were others that were there. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 11 that many that were there went and told everybody that Jesus had just brought this man back to life. In fact, it says that many people believed on Jesus because of that. There were a lot of people that, that went to that dinner, the Bible says there in, 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 here in John. They, they, they came to that, that, that dinner at Simon's house to, to see not just Jesus, but to see Lazarus. Because who wouldn't want to see a dead man who was alive again? I mean, that's something. Because, listen, it's, it's one thing to hear that Jesus did something. It's another thing to see what he did. And they had a desire to see it. There were many people that were there looking to see Jesus because they were looking to see his miracles. In fact, Jesus uh, had many followers that were there specifically for the miracles. He would heal, and then he'd leave, and they'd run out. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000. you know why there was a crowd there? Because he'd been healing people in town. There were people that specifically just wanted to, they were looking for some kind of miracle. They were looking for him to do something in their lives. They, they wanted to see Jesus for that purpose. There were others that were there. In fact, uh, at the triumphal entry, as, the, as, as, as his followers were, were worshiping and praising him, and we're going to get to that here in a minute, there were others that were there that, uh, that, that were upset. The Pharisees were upset because of Lazarus. In fact, they, it says in John chapter 11 at the end of the book that, that they, uh, were going to, they wanted to put Jesus to death. And when so many people believed on Jesus because of Lazarus being alive, they wanted to put him to death too. They were there to, to not just to, to, to see any miracles. They were there to, to know Jesus, but they were looking for an opportunity to destroy him. Then they have the, the disciples who were there. There were the 12, but they weren't just the 12. There were many followers of Christ at this point in time. 
And they, they were there. In fact, it says in the beginning of John chapter 12, and, and you go back through, uh, uh, they're getting ready to go into Jerusalem, and Jesus sent two of his disciples into town and said, said to go get, uh, there was the, to find a, a donkey, and, and it was a, a foal, a, the, 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 an unridden, never tamed donkey, and to bring it and its mother back to him. And you see that in Luke chapter 19, and, and, and that he was going to ride in on that. And so they went and they got that, just like he said, they were there, they had tied it, and just like he had said, they asked him, what are you doing with this donkey? And and they said, the master hath need of them. And they brought it back to Jesus. When they gave it to Jesus, they took their coats off because there, no, there was no saddle on that donkey. It had never been ridden before. They took their coats off and they laid it across the back of that donkey for Jesus to ride on. And, and then as they were coming into uh, the city of Jerusalem, coming down from the Mount uh, of Olives, which is a, a significant place. Because in, back in the, book of, uh, in the book of Zechariah, it said that the king would be coming into Jerusalem. The Messiah king would come into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. Zechariah 14, verse 4. Zechariah 19, verse 9 said that he'd be coming riding on a donkey. The, the, the foal, uh, 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 an unridden, uh, untamed foal of a uh, foal. So, so it, all of this was prof- prophetic. All of this was proving uh, to, the, to these people that this was the Messiah. And they were looking for a king. They, they came to see the king. Now, you would think a king would ride in on a, on a white horse, maybe a carriage. And he came in on a baby donkey. <laughs> it was a donkey, Brother James. But that's not what they were looking for. They were looking for a king who would come in and make war. They were looking for somebody to help them to throw off the the oppression of the Roman government. They were looking for somebody who would sit on that throne that day. Now, he was coming in as king. But he was coming in as a king of peace. In fact, any time back in those days when a king would enter into a town, if he rode in on a donkey, it was a sign or a symbol of, of peace. He came to bring peace to mankind. John chapter 3 says he came not to condemn the world, he didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned because of our sin. He came in to save us. So he comes in riding on this donkey, and men, they are, they, they're, they're throwing their coats uh, down on the ground in front of them. They're, they're, they're taking those uh, palm branches that you see many times at the Palm Sunday uh, services. They, take those, they cut those off the trees, and they laid them, they strewed them across the road, and, and he rode across them. It's kind of like uh, the idea of walking in on a red carpet. It was uh, the idea they were, they were lifting him up. They were exalting him, uh, giving him the position, acknowledging that this was the Messiah. But he wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. They were looking, even his disciples expected an earthly kingdom. After he was dead and after he rose again, before he ascended up into heaven, the disciples said, is it time now for the kingdom? They've been waiting for this the whole time. They expected to to, to win. They expected to rule. They expected to sit on the right hand and the left hand. Uh, James and John, the brothers brothers expected to have those positions or or some kind of position uh, in his court, but that's not why he came. He came in, they worshipped and they glorified him, the, uh, and the Pharisees told him, you should rebuke your disciples, and he said, if, if they were silent, the rocks would cry out, because he's God. He's not just some king, 
He's not just, he wasn't just there to sit on a throne. While well, he's the promised Messiah, Zechariah 19, uh, 14, verse 4, 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, he was the promised Messiah one day, and then one day he will be king, and he will come back, and he will rule from, the, from, the, from that throne in Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. But that day, he wasn't there to rule over Jerusalem. That day, he was there to come in to die. There's a sign here on this pulpit. I've seen it on other pulpits. It references the verse that we read there in verse 21. Those two Greek men came to Philip and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. They had a desire to see what all this excitement was about. Because it wasn't just his 12 disciples that were shouting. and There were hundreds if not more that were coming in with them and shouting and the whole city uh, had gotten excited and worked up and and uh, sometimes people just join the party to be part of the party right sometimes they just get excited because somebody else is excited but these men they wanted to know what it was all about they wanted to see jesus now the truth is, we all should have a desire to, to see Christ or to know Christ. If you're saved here today, when you came to church this morning, I hope you didn't come to listen to me talk. I've got nothing to give you of my own. I've got nothing worthwhile to say of my own. I'm just a man. I hope that you came to hear the word of God. Because the, the important, the, the power isn't in what I say, but it's what the word of God has to say. When we come to church, we should desire to see Jesus. When you got saved, or when you had an understanding that Jesus was the Lord, or if you're going to see Jesus, uh, uh, you, there are some things that we need to grasp, whether we're saved or not. There are some things that are very important for us, and, and, and I believe Jesus responds in a way that we can see these in the next several verses. The Greeks came to Philip. Philip went to Andrew, verse 22, and Andrew went, and Andrew and Philip went to tell Jesus. Verse 23 says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a, man, a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But it, if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life, hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto, unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, serve him, will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. 
This said he, this he said, signifying what death he should die. There's some things that here that, that every single one of us, if we're going to see Christ, need to see, need to understand, need to grasp. The first, uh, the first of this is the preeminence of the Savior. The word preeminence is the, the, uh, the importance, the magnitude uh, uh, that, he's, that he is first. We see it here in verse, verse, uh, verse 20, 23. Uh, Jesus answered and said, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. First, I want you to notice that there was an established moment here. Uh, uh, Jesus had been on this earth for 33 years up to this point. Uh, he had done many great works, many, many miracles, had done, uh, including the raising of Lazarus and the feeding of the 5,000. He had walked on, on water and, and healed the lame and, and, and made the blind to see and made the, the deaf to, to hear and the, uh, the, the, the dumb to speak. He cast out demons and, and he had done miracle after miracle after miracle. Uh, he had done great and mighty things, but that what he was about to do was the most important thing that had ever happened. The whole reason Jesus came to this earth was not to heal and not to, to, to perform miracles. It wasn't even to teach. The reason he came was so that he could die for your and my sins. You say, why did he need to die? Uh, uh, she, uh, Amy touched on it earlier. Uh, we have all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We'll all raise up our hands and acknowledge, hopefully, that, that we are a sinner. And if you, you're not willing to admit it, you're only fooling yourself. You're, you're, you're lying to yourself. Because the Bible says this, that, that, that there is none righteous, no, not one. As good as we want to be, as good as we try to be, we're not good enough. God doesn't love us because we're good. God loves us because he's good. Now, uh, God didn't give the Ten Commandments in the Bible and the law in the Old Testament uh, to the Jews so that they could keep it. He understood that they couldn't. That's why there was the, 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 there was the, atone, the, the day of atonement once a year where that sacrifice was, was made by the high priest. He'd go in and, and listen, uh, he would do that uh, to, to put off the sin until that one day that the perfect sacrifice would die on that cross and his name was Jesus. It was all a sign. It was all a symbol back in the Old Testament. And, and yes, it was, it was bloody and gruesome and, and, and terrible to think about. But listen, the death of Christ was bloody and it was gruesome and it was painful. More than we could ever even imagine. But he did it because he loves us. Now, there were many times when the, when the Pharisees tried to kill him. There were uh, times that he, in, in his teaching, made them upset, and they, would, they, would, they had a desire to stone him, and they would try to get him, and they couldn't because the hour was not yet come. There were times when the disciples wanted him to do, do something, and he said, the hour is not yet come. Look it up. There are several times in the Bible where, where Jesus says that exact phrase, but here he says, the hour is come because this was the moment. This was the day, the, the time that God had preordained that he would die on that cross. Listen, when they, they nailed him to that cross, Satan didn't win any victories. There was no confusion in his mind that, that he was hoping that Jesus wouldn't get up again. It was the fulfillment of the Scripture. In the Old Testament, back in the book of Genesis, where, where God told Satan that you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. That his death on the cross was a, was a crushing 
death-dealing blow to Satan. Now, yes, he's alive, but his judgment day is coming. Jesus died for us. He says the hour is come. It was an established moment planned even before the world had been, had been created. The Bible says before the foundation of the earth were laid, the lamb was slain. We also have, see in that verse, the exalted Messiah. He says, verse 23, that the Son of Man should be glorified. The word glorified means to be praised, to be lifted up, to be exalted. He is worthy of our exaltation, of our, of our praise. All of this uh, wasn't, uh, all of this, uh, that time was come, the, the, what he was about to go through, uh, yes, was going to be painful, yes, was going to, uh, was going to be a, 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 an anguish to his soul, what he was about to go through. And, and when I, we'll, we'll talk about it in a moment, but that, that anguish wasn't about the pain, physical pain, that anguish was about the, the bearing of our sin. But God did it so that he would, could be, that the Son could be glorified. Philippians 2 tells us that, that he left the splendor of heaven, that he, that he came to this earth and, and humbled himself to become like a man, and not even just a man, but a servant, and that he would one day die, that he would surrender to death physically, uh, and that Jesus' name would be exalted above every other name in this world. It says that, every na- that at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. He is preeminent. Listen, if you're going to see Christ, you need to see him for who he is. You need to see him glorified. You can't think of him as a little baby in a manger. And, you, and, and listen, don't think about him. You can't think of him as a man who hangs on a cross. There are, there are crucifixes that you can buy where he's still on there. But guess what? He isn't. He, he, he isn't there anymore. He, he died once and for all. And he, was, he came off that cross. And yes, they buried that body in a borrowed tomb. But three days later, and we'll talk about this next week, he got up again. And we can have hope because of all of that. But we need to see him as that. Don't look up for him as some miracle worker who will perform miracles in your life and help you out of this situation or that situation. That's not why he died. He died to save you. We need to see him as. We need to see the preeminence of the Savior. We also need to see his principle of selflessness. We see this in the next verse. Jesus went on to say in verse 24 Verily, verily, those two words mean truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. There's a reality of loss here that we see in this principle that he's trying to teach. He says that corn of wheat must fall into the ground and die. Or it doesn't do anything. If you take a kernel of wheat, a kernel of corn, and you set it on a shelf, guess what you're going to have in in 10 years? A kernel of corn. But if you take that kernel and you put it in the ground and and it begins to decompose, that, 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 that part, that life in it will begin to spring up. And guess what happens after that? You'll have a stock of corn and multiple ears of corn and a whole lot more kernels. It brings forth abundance. And Jesus said, listen, if there's going to be any fruit, if anybody's going to ever be saved, I need to die and be buried and that life may spring up. 
Without his death, there would be no salvation. His death was the atonement for our sins. Your sin and my sin, listen, there was a penalty that had to be paid for it. You can't steal a car or, 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 or break into a house without going to jail if you're caught, right? There's a penalty for those things. And there's a penalty for our sin. You say, well, my sin isn't that bad. The Bible says all of our sin, any, any sin, if you've committed only even the smallest of sins, it's just as if you've broken the entire law. God is holy and God is just. We talk about God's love all the time. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, but, and, and it's true. God does love us. But I want you to understand, he is holy and just. And he cannot not judge sin. He can't do anything outside of his character, outside of his nature, of, of who he is. And uh, he's, uh, that word holy, it's just, what it means he's pure, he's perfect, and he cannot have fellowship with sin. And because God loves us, he wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to work in your life. He wants to change you. He wants to call you his child. But because of our sinfulness, he, he cannot do that. That's why that sin must be atoned for. And that's why Jesus died. John said it in 1 John, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. It's a big word. It means the, the payment for our sin. His death. Was, was the payment uh, for that debt. Just like, just like uh, Amy had told those, those kids that they needed to clean up after themselves. And then Donnie knelt down and he dried off their hands and he cleaned up the mess. Because, listen, that, that, that water was a picture of the law and they were to hold it, they were to carry it, but they couldn't do it. And guess what? You can't either. None of us can. We cannot obey the law. We, can, we cannot keep the law. We always will break it. It's part of our nature. But somebody... Donnie, in this instance, came alongside and did what they could not do. He held the water. He cleaned up their mess. And listen, when he died on the cross, the Bible says he died for the sins of all men. What a, what a powerful, uh, atoning sacrifice that was. Uh, listen, back in the Old Testament, those things had to be done every year. There was a day of atonement where the high priest would go into the temple and, and he, would, uh, he would have to cleanse himself and, and wear specific garments uh, to go in. Uh, he would have to make a sacrifice for himself before he could then make, take the sacrifice in for the people. And he would do that every single year. But the Bible says in Hebrews that the, the blood, uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It also says that, that the blood of the bulls and the goats that were sacrificed could not wash away their sin. But Jesus... His sacrifice was once and for all. He died on that cross, and it was done. When he said, it is finished, he was talking about his work of atonement. It was done. The reality of loss is that Jesus had to die. There was no other way. There was no other way. You could not be good enough. You could not buy it. You could not, you could not earn it. There's no other way for us to, to have eternal life, for us to have a relationship with, with our Heavenly Father other than through the death of Jesus Christ. And that death brought about the reproduction of life. 
The first, the first of it that we see is on Easter morning when they went to, they went to anoint the body, but he wasn't there. And the angel said to the, said to the women, he is not here for he is risen. Go and tell the disciples. Listen, the first, res, the first new life was in Christ. And we can have hope because he had life. Listen, if he had just died, it would have just been a, man, a, a teacher, a, a, a prophet, a crazy man. Listen, let's just be honest. If, if, if he wasn't God, he, uh, he wasn't a good person. He was either a crazy man or a swindler, right? Let's just be honest. If he wasn't God, Jesus was, Jesus was some nut job telling people to follow him. Paul tells us in, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if there was no resurrection, we, us, uh, the Christians, we of all men would be most miserable because we have no hope. He goes on to say, but Christ is risen. In, 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 in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7, he talks about the, all the numbers of people that saw him after he, after he had risen. And listen, we, we'll take, we'll take a, a eyewitness testimony on a whole lot of stuff. And, and we, we can look back, but people say, no, Jesus can't be real. Let me tell you, he is real. But if he hadn't died, there would be no resurrection. And because he had life, we can have life. Jesus told, Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, ye must be born again. Now it's born of the flesh, his flesh. Uh, if, you've, if you're here this morning, you've been born, except for Brother Donnie, he was hatched. I'm sorry, Brother Donnie. Just a joke. We've all, we've all been born. You all have mothers, right, and fathers. You're born of the flesh. Jesus went on to say, but that which is born of the spirit, spirit. The new birth that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about wasn't his physical birth. In fact, Nicodemus himself said, do I need to go back into my mother's womb? A crazy kind of question, but he was trying to understand and, and grasp what Jesus was saying. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus was speaking of a spiritual birth. That when we by faith trust in that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that he was the son of God, that he died for us, and that he rose again. According to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, that's the gospel. If we believe that, we have faith. The Bible says he does a work in us and gives us that new birth. It's a spiritual birth. He gives us a new heart. Uh, 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 we become a new man. But without his death and his life, we couldn't have it. So we see the principle of selfish, selflessness, but we also see his, the pattern for his service. Look at the next couple of verses here. Verse 25 says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I, where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. We see, we see here a pattern that's a pretty hard saying there in verse 24. Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now I want you to understand something. He's not telling you that you need to hate life. Right? 
We're supposed to love life. We're, all the benefits and blessings of God. Uh, we're to love life. But what he's talking about is that we love one more than the other. Uh, that we love God or love him, uh, that we have an allegiance towards him. And listen, if we love God, uh, our affection will lead to allegiance. If, we're, if we love Christ for what he did for us, because uh, the Bible says the love of God constraineth us, right? It, it, it compels us, it moves us to, to give our lives over to him. And that's, that's what he's saying here. He says, he says listen, if, you, if you're going to love your life more than you love God, then then you've chosen that. What he's calling for us to do is to follow in his footsteps as, as, as Christians that we're to love God more. We're to love God more. He says, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. See, if we love this, if we love or hate this life compared to how we love God, that's a sign of our new birth. And we keep it. There is eternal life. For the wage of sin is death. We talked about that. The second part of that verse is, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, as Christians, we're to follow his pattern. He didn't save us just to come to church once, a, uh, once or twice a month or, 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 or even every, every Sunday. He didn't save us for that. Uh, he saved us to follow his example. And it is a hard example to follow. I'll be the first to say it. Because there are, there are many things in this world, good things in this world, uh, that, can, that can take up our time that can take up our attention, that, that can distract us from living our life completely and wholly uh, for God. But can I tell you this? What, uh, just because it's good doesn't mean it's something worth holding on to. If it's going to pull me away from loving God, it isn't worth it because it's going to cost me more than what it's worth. Remember what Jesus left? He left heaven. He was in heaven, being worshipped by the angels, being, being, being uh, exalted. and He had his hand in the power of creation. In John chapter 17, he prays to the Father. He says, return me unto the, the, the glory which I once had. Uh, he, he said, uh, he, uh, what I'm saying is he left something that was good. He sacrificed himself for us because he loved us. And he calls us to do the same. Our allegiance should lead to, or our affection should lead to allegiance, but it'll also abound in abundance. There it says in verse 20, 20, uh, 25. We will keep it. Verse 26, he says, Him will my father honor. God blesses our, our sacrifice. God blesses our service. God blesses that. Now we've seen the preemin- we need to see the preeminence of the Savior. We need to see his principle of selflessness and the pattern that he's laid out for us. But uh, it, one of the most important things for us to see is the passion of his soul. 
the passion of a soul. Look with me in verse 27. It says, Now is my sore soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. You need to see the pain in his spirit. Many times we, 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 we focus so much on the physical aspect of what Jesus went through on that cross. And it was terrible. Uh, they, they, they made a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails, uh, if you look back in, in, in history, the Romans would use. Uh, they, they, they would take the leather and they would intertwine it and they, they would put chunks of, of metal and glass at the end tied into it so that when they would hit, hit a prisoner with it, uh, it would bury itself in the side and it would rip back and it would shred the flesh. Terrible. Painful is... Bones would have been exposed. Uh, uh, there could have been internal injuries from that. Much blood loss, much pain. He was beaten. Blindfolded, a beard ripped from his face. They would slap, they would punch him in the face and say, who hits you? If you're the son of God, tell us who hits you. But he stayed silent. They plated a crown of thorns, and uh, they, they they made they took these these thorns. They, they're about three inches three inches long, as the, the type of the style of the vine that they used, and and they pressed it down into his head, piercing his scalp. They made him carry his own cross. Uh, he'd been beaten. He'd been. He was exhausted from being up all night physically. Uh, yes, he was God, but yes, he was man. He, uh, he he suffered all of these things so so much so that he couldn't carry the cross. Listen, he wasn't a weakling. He was a carpenter, but he physically collapsed under the weight uh, of that cross. And uh, they had to have another man come alongside and carry it for him. They laid him down. They they nailed him on that cross. Uh, it was a painful, painful experience. But more painful than that. As he hung there on that tree, listen, he said, Father, why have thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why? For the first time in his life, he bore not the blood and the scars and the, the wounds, but he bore our sin upon him. The Bible says that he, that he knew no sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. For the first time. And listen, it went before the earth was ever created, he was in heaven. The Bible says that, that, that by him all things were created. But for the first time, he, there was a break in the fellowship with the Father. Why? Because the Father could not look upon sin. And it was on the Son. He's going into this knowing what he's about to face. There is anguish in his soul. As, he, as, he, uh, is, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's arrested, he's crying out. and The Bible says great sweat, sweat drops of blood are, are flowing from his body. Listen, that's an indication of a, a tremendous amount of stress. There was anguish of his soul. But I don't want you to think that he was questioning what he was going to do. Notice what he says here in the next verse, or the next part of the verse there. Verse 27 says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. While he was in anguish of soul, I want you to know that his heart and his face was set. 
the cross. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. His purpose wasn't to heal. His purpose wasn't to teach, to lead, or to sit on a throne. His purpose on this earth was to die for you and me. And listen, if we're going to know Christ, we need to know this about him. If you're going to, 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 to see him, see him as a Savior who loved you, and he went to the cross knowing what he was going to face. See his pain. We see his plea. We see his purpose. Notice he says, glorify thy name. He's asking for God the Father to be glorified. He's asking for God to be glorified. It says in verse, verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. Notice what happens next. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Listen, Jesus was glorified in heaven. And while he humbled himself, the most glorious thought I can have of him is what he did for us on that cross. We need to see the power of a sacrifice. Jesus says in verse 30, Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now this is, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the princes of this world be cast down. The power of sacrifice was in the dealing of sin and the death that he would suffer. He spake all of these things. Verse 32 says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He died for us, for our sin. That, that lifting up was a symbol of the crucifixion. Now, the Jews didn't crucify people. The Jews stoned people to death. Jesus says in John chapter 3, in referencing back to an Old Testament uh, account of, of Moses uh, making a brazen serpent and re- rising it up on a pole, said, as, as the serpent was raised in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus said here, he said, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. All men. I love that. There's not a particular race or creed or color or background. or You don't have to live on the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks. And listen, as far as the Jews were concerned, the Messiah that was coming was just for them. But there were two men who had come in to ask about Jesus who weren't Jews. Remember, they were Greeks. And Jesus said, all men. But why? Because Jesus knew that when, when, when he died, when he rose again, the gospel was not going to be just for the Jewish people. The gospel was going to be, the Jews were going to reject Christ, and the gospel was going to be for everybody. What does that mean for you? If you're here and you're lost, Christ died for you. And his invitation is for you. What he did was for you. The, the, the opportunity of salvation and eternal life is for you. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. It doesn't matter where, where you're from or, or, or what your background is. Or, or None of those things matter. It's for you. We need to see the power, that power of sacrifice. 
If we don't see it, we won't see Jesus. Last, we need to see the the priority of salvation. The priority of salvation. The people answered him, verse 34, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. How, How sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Verse 35 says, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while the light is with you. Walk while ye have the light. Lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. Like, who is this Son of Man? And Jesus, Jesus begins to refer to, uh, he says, ye, while ye have the light. Uh, who is the light? Well, Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. He says, while ye have the light, walk in the light. While ye have the light, uh, believe in the light, because the light is only going to be here for a little while. Listen, if, if God is opening up your eyes uh, to the truth of the gospel, if you, uh, you, listen, I, I heard the gospel a million times before I placed my, my trust in Christ. Uh, I, I grew up in church. I went to a Christian school. I heard it over and over and over and over. And in my mind, I said, yes, I believe it. But there came a point, there came a point for me one day when, when suddenly I saw myself in need of salvation. God opened up my eyes, and I realized that I was lost and on my way to hell. And I saw Christ. Christ as the only way to heaven. It, it wasn't, I wasn't convinced that there was, there was nobody that was making me believe that. I suddenly understood it. It was like a light had turned on. And I praise God for that, because otherwise I'd still be out there running around, drinking and doing all the other things that I was doing, destroying my life. But I want you to understand something. God opened my eyes. He gave me the light. And I had a moment. I had a moment to believe it. There is no guarantee that if you, if you don't act on the light while the light is in you, listen, if you don't trust him now, there's no guarantee that it'll be there tomorrow. I'm not saying you, it won't be, but I do believe God gives us windows. Windows of opportunity. Where the Spirit of God will speak to us. But if we reject Him, if we, if we deny Him, if we push it off and say, listen, I'll, I'll do it later, that day may never come. In the book of Acts, Paul is, is, is testifying and standing before Agrippa, and, and, and he's, he's, he's defending himself as he's, as he's there as a prisoner by, by, by sharing with King Agrippa what God had done in his life and how he had become a Christian. And Agrippa says this, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost isn't good enough. What, what was he saying? He was saying that what you're, what you're, what you're saying, Paul, is, is compelling me. What you're saying, Paul, is convicting me, but I'm not there. Acts goes on to record that Agrippa kept him for a long time, trying to get Paul to give him money to buy his freedom. Paul didn't want to be free. Paul wanted to be able to preach the gospel wherever 
God led him to. And eventually Agrippa passed him off. And never once says that Agrippa ever came to faith. Why? Because when the Spirit of God touched his heart, when the Spirit of God convicted him of his sin, almost I was persuaded. But he never was fully persuaded. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and try to force you to believe something that you don't believe. I can't. I don't have that ability. But what I can say is this. If the Spirit of God today is, is touching your heart, if he's saying, listen, believe in me and thou shalt be saved. If you don't believe in me, you'll spend an eternity apart from me in a place designed for, for the punishment uh, of sin. And listen, that place is called hell. And it's real, just as real as heaven is. And listen, God does not desire that you would be there. He desires that you would trust him and that you would be with him forever, for all eternity in heaven. But he's not going to force you to do it. And if God is convicting you of that, if God is, is, is placing that upon your heart today, let, let me say this, that now you have a window of opportunity that may not be there tomorrow. Say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I'm healthy. I got years. I'll do this when I'm older. Once I've experienced life a little bit. As a paramedic firefighter, I saw a whole lot of people who never had a tomorrow. And none of them expected to die when they did. There's no guarantee. James describes the human life as a vapor. It's there one moment and gone the next. This morning, you need to see the preeminence of, of Christ and that he came to this earth for the specific purpose to die at a specific day for a specific reason. And that reason is you. You need to see that without his death, there would be no forgiveness of your sin. That you will be judged for all eternity uh, and, and, and suffer that judgment. Why? Because of your sin. You need to see the passion and the desire that Christ, that, that Christ put into this. It wasn't uh, something uh, that was a whim. It was planned. It was purposed. And there was anguish in his heart. There's power in the sacrifice. Because of his sacrifice, we can have salvation. And we need to see the priority of it. Today is this. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. May God help us to see Christ. Father God, I thank you for your word. thank you for Jesus what he did for us on that cross thank you for your word that opens up our eyes to the truth and your spirit that gives us understanding and God I pray this morning that your spirit would give us understanding Lord I fully believe there are people here this morning that have never truly placed their trust in Christ that they're not saved that they don't know I am not their judge can't see their hearts, but God, you can. 
Lord, I pray that you would draw them unto you. God, I pray, Lord, that, that they would see the truth. And Lord, that they would, Lord, that they would trust you, that they believe. I ask your spirit to do its work this morning. In Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. Heads bowed, nice clothes, just